Welcome. Welcome to another episode of The Impact of AI, where each week we explore how AI and cognitive technologies impact us daily, both professionally and personally. This podcast is sponsored by AI Time Journal and supported by WILDA, Women Leaders in Data and Artificial Intelligence. For those of you whom I've not met yet, my name is Melissa Drew, and I will be your host for this week's podcast. Today we have with us Peggy Tsai. Now, Peggy is the newly appointed Chief Data Officer for Big ID. Now, Big ID is a data intelligence program platform that enables organizations to understand their enterprise data, privacy, protection, and perspective. Now, Peggy's background is deep knowledge in the regulatory compliance programs, data protection regulation, and understands and focuses that how your data and these new technologies of machine learning and artificial intelligence married that with the challenges that you already have for data, Peggy is the person that you need to go talk to. Additionally, this year, Peggy also is the adjunct faculty, now this is really interesting, executive coach for the Chief Data Officer Certification Program at the Heinz School of Information Systems and Management at Carnegie Mellon. Welcome. Thank you, Melissa. I'm pleased to be here with you today. You know, one of the things that we see on these podcasts is that nobody's journey is ever the, the same. And I always look at everyone's LinkedIn and you started out with economics and then you shifted into management information systems, which is where I'm at. That's my background. But I also noticed that you're one of the, probably the few people that I've met where you went from that background in college and then you immediately went into that area within your career. So I, I'm really interested because this is a very unique perspective. How did you shift from economics to management systems and information and then decide that that's where you wanted to stay and kept, kept with that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, uh, <laughs> Melissa. So I graduated um, from Cornell University in 2001 uh, with the bachelor's in economics. And the reason why I chose economics at that time was I, I thought it was a very broad type of education that can give me in terms of opportunities, whether in business or if I wanted to explore other types of um, uh, study. So I just saw it as a, as a great general um, background. And I think uh, within a couple of years after graduating, I you know, just sort of fell immediately into a role. Um, this was um, at SMP, um, Standard mm -hmm. and Ratings, Standard and Poor's Rating Services, and immediately fell into a role where it was um, in a data operations, a center of excellence role, where best practices in data management could be incorporated and infused across all the lines of business. Um, so I, I feel like I kind of fell into that role very early on in my career, and I loved it. I, I loved the ability to, to grow, um, be able to expand my skill set, whether it was um, taking on new roles in technology or inside the business operation teams. Um, so I thought it had such great flexibility, and it was all based on the premises of good data management principles. And those are the same principles that I learned back then that I'm still learning and applying today in, in uh, even my role at Big ID today. You know, that's a really good segue to what your role is and maybe a little bit more about what your company, because I know I didn't do it justice in the, in the, in the introduction. 
Um, and then also as this role of a data officer, um, what is your scope? What is it that, that um, how big is your umbrella? Sure, so before I talk about my role at Big ID, I just wanted to also share with those in the audience that I've spent uh, my career in the financial services industry, um, mm -hmm. right? So I mentioned working at Standard & Poor's, I've worked at insurance, AIG, I've worked at Morgan Stanley on the um, institutional side and wealth management side. So my career has always been a hands-on data practitioner. And I've taken on different roles in, in that, in all the different uh, companies I've been at, whether it's hands-on being a data steward, working data quality, um, you know, running and managing a data governance program. So I've, I run the gamut in terms of all the types of data management and data governance roles. Mm -hmm. So in the last two years, I decided to switch something completely different. I wanted to know what it was like to build a better product for my former self. Like if I, <laughs> my, in my former roles in financial services, I was always looking at new technologies, how technologies could help with a lot of the issues that we were mm -hmm. having. A lot of it is as a data steward, um, the time it takes to manually curate and collect and validate data and data sets, working with my data science or analytics teams, keep trying to give them better data. And, and how do we work with compliance and, and legal teams faster and better? And a lot of my, interesting part of my role back then was uh, finding new technologies that could help us and that we could integrate into our technology stack. So that was, um, I realized I wanted to spend more time exploring that area again, which is another reason why I decided to work for a vendor and build a better product. Mm -hmm. um, so that's explanation of how I came into Big ID. Um, and I looked at many possible um, vendors and startups and I was really intrigued by the fact that Big ID um, focused on heavily on AI machine learning, mm -hmm. looking um, heavily on metadata and data to really build out the data insights that a data steward needed in order to do its work. Um, so by, you know, ability to, uh, these are really um, patented discovery algorithms that Big ID had, and I thought was very compelling and very distinct in the marketplace. And what they did, what, what they do is build a, uh, an inv inventory, which I think of it as a repository of all the metadata, um, business metadata, operational, technical metadata, and bring it together in a catalog in such a way that allows a data steward to search and find. And on top of that, Big ID applies things like clustering and cataloging, um, the classifying and correlating the data to really bring additional insights that's not possible uh, with the human eye or human intervention. Um, so I thought, wow, imagine combining the power <laughs> and the magnitude of what a machine learning algorithm can do, plus the subject matter expert of a data steward and apply that in a whole end-to-end -end data governance lifecycle um, process, I, I thought very compelling, um, very innovative. Mm -hmm. um, and my role here is to expedite that even more and really develop some of these additional core capabilities of data governance that uh, I think is much needed um, and it's missing in the marketplace today. 
there's so much that you said that that we can explore. Yeah, that's, I'll take a pause right there. And <laughs> so I much, so much there. And it's and it's all great. And I, I think um, let's start with the last thing you said, and then we'll just work backward. You mentioned that you're there because you saw some gaps in your previous roles. What are some of the gaps that that you're solving? So I think it's um, the biggest gap is the time and effort it takes to um, for data governance teams to actually show uh, return on value and return on their investment um, in their data governance program. Uh, a very common saying that I always heard was, um, don't boil the ocean. Mm-hmm. And that's when talking about the scope of data that's usually um, put in place for a data program. And the reason why a lot of chief data officers used to say that is because one, they couldn't hire enough people. There weren't enough resources. So in order to show value, they wanted to limit the number of either critical data elements or limit the actual business processes that would be covered under a program or a project. And by keeping it very small, it would be something that could be delivered within a manageable amount of time. Um, and it also would be able to demonstrate that something could be completed. But another problem with that is by keeping the scope so small and so mm-hmm. limited, the effects and impact of that data gov- data being governed could not be seen on a larger scale. Um, and therefore, many executives might not even see any value because it was done on such a small sliver of their data domain overall. Right. Um, so there are definitely some pros and cons to choosing a small and manageable scope. But at the end of the day, if data governance programs cannot demonstrate large, quick wins, then unfortunately, you know, that leads to a lot of de-escalation in the prioritization of the program, you know, reduction in the workforce. And, you know, that that leads to a lot of regulatory and compliance risks if companies do not have a fully funded data governance program. Perfect segue, because one of the other things that I noted was you mentioned earlier, the relationship between the legal teams and the compliance teams. And I haven't really explored that with, with a lot of folks yet. And I'd love to understand a little bit more about what about what you're doing there and and why is this really important yeah so um data governance programs in and i'm saying this in general for financial services companies because that is my personal background right. so i can fairly i can say that with fair confidence <laughs> um there there's several reasons why data governance programs are funded so a com- another common saying that i've that's always been said is uh, the carrot and the stick. And the reason why data governance programs are created, um, the carrot representing a lot of the new business opportunities that can be created in terms of new products, new offerings, if there's a data governance program in place. But mm-hmm. it's actually always um, the stick, which represents a lot of the, you know, the legal and regulatory programs that really is the reason why um, financial service companies um, have funded a lot of data governance programs. And in order to comply with these programs, that's why they've, they've had to be um, funded. So uh, it, there's always been a, a strong relationship between legal and compliance because 
they're the ones that have dictated some of the needs in terms of you know specific regulatory reports or even internal um, audits that those are the things that need to, needed to be done and a data governance program is the one that's best fit to really ensure compliance in terms of collecting the data reporting on the data and making sure that all the um, right business processes happen in place as well. I was thinking about when you were talking and you were talking about you know, the challenges in the data governance and it dawned on me that a lot of times we don't really focus on how much data we're actually talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I recently, I looked up Big, big ID and uh, there was a reference to PETA data Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think really a lot of us under really understand the concepts of how large of these data sets when we talk about enterprise data, but I don't think we're, I don't think we're really visually helping people understand exactly how much data are we talking about. Um, do you have like a, a way that we could explain this, you know, over audio? <laughs> <laughs> Oh no, um, that's a really good question. Um, I, I wish I had a really good analogy there, but um, I, I would say that um, you know petabytes is is actually a fairly large amount. You think about to the fifth degree. Um, just think about just the amount of data that is um, you know collected on you know just your personal hard drive. You know, I look at my my mm -hmm. SharePoint drive. And you know, you think about the the number of files that you're saving on your iPhone, or just the amount of pictures that you're saving. And I look at the memory there. And companies have to. The funny thing is that companies have to um, comply with their document retention policies, and um, they are more ri risk averse when it comes to keeping files rather than deleting files. So think about mm -hmm. you know, just the amount of number of years your organization has been in business, they're more likely to, to keep it somewhere than to actually do a hard delete. Um, so just the amount of data that's created on you know, do, running the business, um, doing the operations with its employees, um, it's, it's a crazy amount. You, I'm sure if you talk to your, your system owners, ah, you, I did you one better. This is really the great thing number. about doing these zoom calls is I looked it up on the internet while you were talking. So going back, I'm going to take your analogy. So going back to your analogy of my hard drive, my hard drive is in gigabytes, mm -hmm. you know, and you could have probably what a hundred gigabytes, 150 gigabytes of a hard drive. Mm -hmm. Well, according to the internet, 1 million gigabytes is one petabyte mm -hmm. and and you guys are talking about millions of petabytes of data millions. so yeah. I, I think that at some point in the future I'll, I'll come up with a better one but yeah that's that's a lot of data like that's a lot of data yeah no but it, that's it, it's just not the amount okay so that's one th that's one part of the puzzle right right just the amount of amount of data you have, but imagining having to comply with these different regulations. For example, I'll mention privacy regulations mm -hmm. because that's cuts across all industries. They're asking privacy regulation and protection laws are asking specifically about data that can identify a person. 
Mm-hmm. So that can be anything from like certainly your your name and social security number and email address and, and where you live, but also Melissa is, is talking about you know your your race, your ethnicity, your cookie settings. You know, you just looked up something on the internet. What was your IP set address for that? So yeah. all that information that can describe you and can link back to you to you, Melissa Drew. It's um, imagine searching for all that um, inside all that petabytes of information and to be able to do it real time, near real time, and to be able to do it accurately mm-hmm. and completely. Those are the challenges that organizations are facing today, especially if they live, if they, if they do business um, or do, or their customers live in a jurisdiction that falls under one of these privacy protection um, laws. So then let's take all of that data and then now go back and apply your definition of governance. So if I'm sitting here with all this data, you're, what you're doing is you're helping me understand how I can better govern that data. And, and I want to get your, get your definition of what governing data means, because I also think that could be something that could be misinterpreted as well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be very um, prescriptive here okay. when I describe what, um, how to start governing. <laughs> Let's start with that. Let's <laughs> how to start governing all this amount, massive amount of data that's um, available in the organization. So I'll start with um, a story actually that a, a customer. Oh yeah, we love stories. Recently, recently <laughs> told me, um, and this is a, a large retail company, global retail company that we all have shopped for. It's, it's a very common place to get not just your groceries, but your food, um, just everything in life. And one of the things that their data governance team has told us that even despite the size of their organization and you would think the sophistication they have in all their technologies, it's because they operate globally and under multiple um, jurisdictions, um, they still don't know what their data is. Mm -hmm. They don't know what, where their data is, and then how it's all connected together. And, And that's a problem. And you just multiply that by um, you know all their customers and all the employees they have in their organization, um, it's it's very it's very challenging. So the first step is again knowing what your data is. That's what the first step is to govern. You have to know what you know what you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think is a, is a very it's another common um, theme here. Um, and in order to do that, um, there's a very common uh, governance process that we all start with is inventorying. Mm-hmm. Inventorying is, you know, just assessing all the things that you have, all the data sets, all the data sources, um, even looking at, um, you know, things that you're, you're creating internally or um, ingesting in, in your, inside your company, um, creating an inventory of, you know, what what types of data it is, um, is, is a start. And a very similar concept to inventorying is cataloging. Mm-hmm. Cataloging is applying um, additional things like not, not just what it is, um, but starting to put ownership names of, you know, who owns this information, like where is it actually located? 
in your organization so that you can start putting, um, you know, making it a more searchable, think of it as a searchable um, Wikipedia. I mean, I, I love saying that word Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> the concept of Wikipedia is that people, anyone can, um, you know, propose something or write an article, write a topic or enhance something. Um, same with a same with the kinds of a catalog. You want people in your organization to to read and search through things, find the definition of things, and then be able to um, add on to it, enrich it, or make modifications to it as needed. Mm-hmm. So that's the concept of catalog. So you know where everything is, and you know where it is. But then there's additional things like um, what I call classification. Um, and classification actually comes up very frequently with um, all of our customers and everyone I've talked to, but Big ID's definition is actually slightly different. So I'll, I'll give it a good example. Mm-hmm. So last week I was talking with a large financial services company who says, yeah, we want to do classification. And their definition of classification is um, what's internal, what's considered internal, what's considered public, private um, usage. That's like and segmentation. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's great. That's a great start. But how do you expect downstream consumers like your your data analysts, your data science teams, your modeling teams? How do you expect them to actually know what it is and how do you expect them to build features for their model if they don't really understand that data? So from the from the onset, you should apply Big ID's classification, which is actually tagging um, or labeling mechanism that actually can describe what that data value is. So helping leverage organizations ontology of what things are, we can apply uh, machine learning models to describe things right away immediately inside the catalog. So not only can you look in this catalog to find what things are, but you actually understand the context Mm-hmm. of what it is and maybe and help people use it faster because they actually um, can see and understand that value better. Um, so those are just like the initial things that should be done. Things, and I can talk more about things like data quality and having um, what I call a stewardship model so that um, you know the right review and certification process is, is put in place for all these um, data assets. Those are all very important aspects um, to just building the foundation for a, a good data management program. I wanna follow up on something you just said. Specifically, you mentioned that the classification of the data was really what I thought you said was an underlying requirement, almost a mandatory requirement before you can start building those models. And I, I hadn't heard that before. Um, I would, I would really like to, to go a little bit deeper into that area because I think you've hit on something that, again, everybody kind of glosses over the data governance and everybody kind of says, yes, I want my data clean. But I think we're not fully diving in deep and saying, hey, it's not just clean, it's not just classification. We can't even get to the next phase of this whole AI model you know, journey until, so what exactly are we typing? I mean, what, when you say categorizing your data, what, can you give me an example? Yeah, sure. Um, So this is something that I've learned really, and I'll kind of give you some context because Mm -hmm. 
again, I, I think it's um, sorely missed and it, it's not discussed yeah. enough in the marketplace. Um, and the reason why I love talking about this is because one of my responsibilities back when I was at Morgan Stanley was not only building, helping to build out um, the business glossary um, for wealth management, but it was also supporting our analytics team. And our analytics team, one of the struggles that I've, I've seen them have was they were um, building these customer models. They were working on long-term studies and understanding our customer behaviors, um, understanding what what triggered a customer to stay or to leave. And you know, we were really looking at different factors and behaviors. And what they needed was data, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted data from everything from, you know, not just a customer account information, but also profiling our financial advisors and figuring out what aspects of a financial advisor were was um, either helping or, or helping the, the churn rate. Um, so we looked at things like phone logs, um, number of minutes that were called and spent on the phone. So a lot of as much information as was possible. So imagine if you were a um, one of the, the data scientists in, in our analytics team, um, it was very difficult for them to, to look through a table, a structured table of all this information and really understand what exactly they were looking at. Because sometimes um, the, 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 the way that we um, defined a strategic customer versus a, um, a target customer, we, we used something like um, generic values like S and T mm-hmm. to represent um, and to identify customers, um, to segment customers. And without having a proper um, business glossary, for example, to actually translate what these values meant, the, 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 end, u- the end user in this case being the data scientist could not be able to to run their models because they wanted to maybe target only the strategic customers. Mm -hmm. So having a business glossary um, to help put that definition in place was important. Um, Secondly, um, there's actual values in in the data. Like for example, um, um, features, whether or not they were um, phone numbers or features like a geography or um, we looked at things like geography, like incomes, um, those were all characteristics and they needed to be um, tagged and, and classified, um, classified meaning um, labeled properly so that everyone understood these labels and, that, and were used consistently across all our data sources. So we look at the um, amount of tables and information, everything that is known um, inside a structured environment can easily be um, tagged and labeled properly or classified. What were opportunities that are available, um, not just at Morgan Stanley, but in other organizations is a lot of the unstructured data. So right. information that's captured either in a, the Salesforce environment or the CRM environment or in emails, these are unstructured inform, unstructured files, but the information um, could still pertain to, um, to, to, some, to inputs 
for a data scientist to put in their models. So that needs to be classified using the same classification manner that was done and applied on a structured tables. And this is where the natural language processing comes in, the machine learning that exactly. augments you, a human. I couldn't imagine how many people now I'm, you know, if I circle back to the very first comment you said when we introduced you, it was the amount of people, they couldn't find enough people to do the work. And I think mm -hmm. you just connected the dots as to why they were looking for that amount of people. There's no way that you could get even a huge team of people to go through this much data. It'd be, you know, probably ha half a decade or so just to classify and segment this kind of data and, and at the level that you really needed it to be. Exactly. Yeah. And in order to really be a true uh, leader in the marketplace, any any financial services in, um, organization, they have the data, they're just not using it in the right way, right. and they're not using it effectively and efficiently. I mean, they have the data, they cannot say that they couldn't do the models, but in order to actually mine that data and put it in, in, a, in a structure and a format that's usable and repeatable, mm -hmm by their analytics teams, by the data scientists, those are, those are the people in your organization that are, are trying to find insights and trying to add value for your organization. You have to give them um, access to the, to the right data, but the, what predates that is, is obviously the having the right data governance program in place in order to make all that possible. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, I, there's definitely a whole bunch here um, that we could get more into. I, I want to shift just a little bit because there's something else that you're doing that's really important. You are working with Carnegie Mellon and it is what, what you've listed as an executive coach, but it's the chief data officer certification program. And I want to clarify, it's the Heinz College School of Information Systems and Management. And I want to tie that back into your role that you have at, at Big ID because I think up until just recently, like just 2021, there wasn't a formal data program, or in this case, specifically a program that focuses on chief data officers. So I, I definitely want to make sure we have some time to talk about that. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to talk about that. Um, I'm proud to be part one of the executive coaches for the, the first um, cohort that launched um, earlier this year for the Heinz College um, Chief Data Officer Program. It's really one of the first programs that I've seen um, here in the US that focuses not just on you know, what you need to know or the knowledge that's needed for a Chief Data Officer, but it's actually taught by Chief Data Officers, like real like practitioners. So it's, it's really exciting. And my role as an executive coach is that I have a subset of the, of the class of the students. So I lead a team. I had a team of five students and just helping them throughout the milestones of their certification program, giving them guidance as well as ex my experience um, in the data management field and how they can work through their assignments and work mm -hmm. through their um, um, practicum at the end of the semester. So you mentioned cohort. Um, is this just a, a one semester? Like when you say certification program, how long is the program? Oh, it's a six month program. Okay. Um, it's right now because of COVID, it is 
um, meets virtually, yeah. uh, starts out with once a week. Um, and it's a fairly intensive course, I would, I would have to say, but I would say the, le the lectures are so engaging that it doesn't seem like you've been sitting virtually <laughs> for three to four hours. Um, I mean, what's, what's great is that not only are you sitting in, virtually in the classroom with your peers, you have lots of opportunity to, um, to meet uh, many, many of the um, you know, virtual lecturers that are also um, not just professors, but some of them are authors in the data mm -hmm. governance space and also um, you know, running a chief data officer program at major um, companies today as well. So if someone goes through this program six months later, what can they, what would they look like as an individual? What kind of experience should, should they expect to have? Yeah, so um, all, the, all the graduates will have learned, um, I think, the fundamentals of um, data management, uh, the capabilities, uh, assessing a maturity model, mm -hmm. building out a roadmap, putting a financial plan in place. And what I love about this program is that um, you're from the very beginning, um, you're thinking like a chief data officer. Ah. So you're, um, you, your team selects a, a company that you want to, to model after, and you spend the next you know, four or five months pretending like you are the chief data officer and so all your assignments and um, reports and papers are all based on the research of, you know, being a chief data officer in that type of company in that type of industry. And it's very interesting at the end of the, end of the semester, you hear the other students give their presentations from different industries. Um, you see the similarities, but you see the differences and nuances and how, how to be an effective chief data officer. There's some variations, but at the end of the day, um, a lot of similarities occur. That's really cool. Congratulations for being a part of that. Oh, I, I, I feel lucky to, to be selected <laughs> um, to be one of the, the part of the, part of the uh, teaching staff. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very exciting. Well, unfortunately, we're wrapping up. Um, our time together is nearing its end. Um, if we circle back to your role as Chief Data Officer at Big ID and with your background and how the data really folds into the analysis and the models and the artificial intelligence is being used to help synthesize and the data, I mean, everything that we've talked about, it's all woven together. And you can't have one without the other. And, and I've got this like scale, you know, visual scale of my head where the you know, data side is on one side and the AI and the models and the analytics are on the other side and they really have to balance each other out. So as we wrap up today with putting that hat back on for you, what are some of the things that you'd like to, to shout out for lessons learned, leave behind, something that would, if I'm in your shoes or I have your role in, in my company, what can I think of tomorrow I, I should have been thinking differently all along and just didn't realize it. Sure. Um, so, so my role at, at Big ID is to really help organizations, um, data executives, understand how they can be leveraging uh, machine learning um, much better in, in their organization today. So um, while I, I have this new role, it's, it's a dual role, right, where I'm, I'm talking to a lot of customers and prospects, really understanding their pain points and 
what I hear frequently is that their team is very small. They have a very small budget. Um, how can a tool like Big ID help me? Right. How can I see results faster? I just don't have the time um, to put into this. So that's one example where we, we love to come in and really show our value right away with our discovery platform, our ability to connect to all your data sources, a look at your holistic data governance program and start applying a lot of these machine learning algorithms to give you the insights right away. Um, so I, I love talking about that. <laughs> and secondly, you know, another pain point that um, organizations have is that um, it's not a data program that's funding. It's usually a privacy or security that has a bigger concern. Um, so think about data management holistically. Uh, I think privacy, chief privacy officers, security officers, they all are asking and utilizing data. Um, but, you know, work with your chief data officer, work with your data management teams, because I think that by applying good data governance practices once, it can be used, reused and scalable and leverageable for many use cases across the organization. So think about that when you're coming up with your budget. <laughs> and then I think just to talk about internally what my role at Big ID as well, um, while it's external facing internally, you know, I'm very excited about applying um, a lot of the best practices that I talk about internally um, at a company, at a new startup like Big ID. So it's, it's very exciting to, to think about, you know, data standards, best, best reporting practices, um, you know, a lot of the challenges that organizations face today. Um, so I'm excited about um, doing that in, in my new role as chief data officer. I hope you enjoy your role. It sounds like it's the right place and the right time. You know, the term data geek kind of came in my head a couple of times. I, I think anybody that really, really loves data and getting down to the field level and then talking to it, you know, for three or four hours at a time, um, like what you mentioned earlier, there's got to be some passion there that, that just isn't there for others. So Certainly. I can yeah. I can hear it when when you talk about it and you smile. For those of you who are listening to the audio portion of this podcast, she is smiling when she talks. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Any um, you personally? So you know, any lessons learned? I think in the last year, I've personally, I mean, I've learned to not to um, make assumptions. Yeah. Um, and one of the things about being a data steward in the past 10 years that I've been a data steward, the reason why we have a business glossary is that people come from different backgrounds and perspectives and what they bring to the table is sometimes a different understanding with each other, right? Uh, it's a, less, a good lesson in life to, to always make sure that you know, two people are understanding the same thing. And the same thing about data governance. Um, you know, people have different understandings of what a catalog means, what an inventory really means, mm -hmm. what classification means. I, I use that story I mentioned earlier about my practitioner perspective and definition of classification and what I'm what big ideas a vendor mm -hmm. is trying to um, educate the marketplace on. It's it's two different things coming from two different backgrounds. So that's why it's it's always important to maybe just start a conversation. Um, the first thing is you know this is what I this is what we're talking about, right? Just lay out a definition out there and just get confirmation from the other party. 
Um, and that always helps. That always um, gets everyone on the same page and making the conversation much more fruitful. Um, so I like to do that in business and personal life. And it's made a lot of things um, much, much easier. So I would give that advice for, for anyone, <laughs> not just at work, but you know, outside of work as well. Awesome. Well, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Melissa. I really enjoyed being here today as well. Mm -hmm.